Welcome to our latest episode of the Release Physicians uh, podcast and uh, this is episode number 82 of the podcast and today we'll be discussing gender equality in the workplace in the Middle East and North Africa region through the SAWI project and our guest uh, today is uh, Dr. Lina Daouk Oiri who is currently Associate Professor of Organization and Psychology at the BI uh, Norwegian Business School and uh, prior to that she was at OSB at AUB for 13 years as a social professor there. She's also had experience there as director of a unit, uh, bridging the gap between the different uh, faculties at the university and, and the healthcare faculty. And uh, it was uh, related to assessing evidence base for healthcare management at uh, AUB and the AUB uh, Medical Center. Uh, welcome, Alina, to the podcast. Thank you, Khalil. Thank you for having me. So, Lina, I'm going to start first by asking you, so you spent uh, 13 years at AUB, and uh, so can you tell me about your, slightly about your time at AUB, or what you did there at OSB Business School, and then uh, what prompted the move to uh, to Norway and Finland? Sure. Uh, I joined AUB straight after completing my PhD. Uh, I knew that if I was going to go back to Lebanon, I would go back to one place, and that was the AUB. That's my alma mater. That's where I always where I started and where I always felt that I belonged. And I was accepted into a position as an assistant professor at the time at the Alayan School of Business. I started there, you know, as a psychologist in the business school. It was very new and very avant-garde of uh, uh, the business school to be hiring psychologists at the time. Now, of course, it's a trend that is, you know, uh, elsewhere around the world that has been uh, happening uh, a lot. And in Lebanon, we see more and more uh, psychologists specifically organizational psychologists being hired into the business school. So I was there for uh, 13 years. During that time, um, I worked a lot in healthcare, actually, because the way I do my research is I drive my, my work from societal gaps and, and problems that I see in society around me, and I construct my research around them. And I remember at the time, through OSB, I did some work for the hospital, some training programs for the frontliners. It was a new leadership coming in at the time, and it was um, at the time Professor Sayekh who came in. He was the Dean Sayekh at the time, EVP Medical Affairs, and he wanted to really rework and, and revamp uh, many aspects of the, of the hospitals. So I did a training for frontliners, and from there I realized that there's... As you know, on one hand, in the healthcare sector, you notice that there's a lot of investment in the development of nurses and physicians by virtue of being in this profession and by affiliation to their syndicates and their continuous development is monitored uh, through that, through the boards they belong to and the syndicates they belong to and so on. And I noticed that there's a gap in that context for managers who, unless the hospital itself puts funding and purposely puts funding to develop the skills of those managers, little is done on that front at, in Lebanon as a whole. So uh, this is how I got into the field of healthcare. I could tell you more about that later. But eventually, uh, uh, you asked me about how I ended up moving to uh, BI Norwegian Business School. In 2020, right after the, the Lebanese revolution and the economic collapse, I came to Finland because I had a sabbatical for one year uh, in Finland. And as we came here, Corona happened, the world closed, and then eventually the devastating Beirut blast occurred as well at, at, at the time in August 2020. And this is when, you know, being married to uh, a Finn and uh, having two young kids, it only made sense for me to continue to stay in, uh, in Scandinavia. 
Right, right. And of course, you know, now I, I live in Finland and I work in Norway and uh, Scandinavia, you can think of it like the MENA region. <laughs> right. you, you think about it as a region, not only a country by country. So, Except yeah. it's probably easier to cross the borders. But, uh... Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess when you, during your time at AUB, we talked about you were involved in, in healthcare and in, 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 in multiple other sectors in Lebanon. And, and my question for you is like, what, what is, because you've worked in the Saudi project and in gender equality in the, in the Middle East, and what was your perception, I guess, of gender equality, uh, specifically in Lebanon and, and also maybe in the MENA region at the time? And then we can maybe touch on gender equality in the healthcare sector and healthcare management in Lebanon. As I told you earlier, a lot of my research I drive based on societal problems. And one of the issues that I noticed that was really problematic in, in, in the MENA region uh, in general, because I used to do consulting also um, uh, across the region and executive education through OSB and AUB. And through that, I noticed that women economic empowerment and women workplace empowerment is limited. And if you look at the numbers, the numbers are really sad because at university, we have a, almost an equal number, if not higher representation of women in university degrees studying at university. But when you go to the workplace, the numbers shrink uh, dramatically. So in Lebanon, you might have, I don't know, 55 plus percent of uh, people at university are women. But then when you go to the workplace, representation is around the 20%, 22%. So for me, these numbers are alarming. And that's not uh, one factor or two factors. It's a combination of factors that lead to that. And in a country that needs talents and requires talent uh, to grow the economy, to grow uh, the multiple sectors, you know, it's not only a social justice issue, it's also an economic issue and it's a, a fairness issue. And it's a, you know, it's a cause that was very dear to my heart. So I started working on, on many fronts uh, with, the, you know, uh, on issues relating to women. I was, for example, uh, one of the uh, co-ambassadors for women in data science, even though I'm not a data scientist myself. But for me, that was a very interesting one because we were helping bring um, female role models in the field of data science, which is a field that is very um you know, where women are very underrepresented and where young girls and young women don't end up going into those kind of degrees or, or careers because they don't see people like them making it in those fields. So it was very meaningful there. Through SAWI, I, uh, my engagement started was limited uh, through SAWI at the beginning, but I was a part of the conversations and all the work that was being done around uh, mobilizing stakeholders, working with faculty members and students and CSOs and NGOs and government bodies and working with whoever you can work with so that we could mobilize and get people together working on, on making a difference because it's, it's not something that could change quickly uh, in a short period of time and it's not the efforts of one person it's the collective effort that is needed in order to create those changes uh, and those realities right and and I, and I guess that's why we'll talk about about the Saudi project in a bit but so do we do we have like do, do we have numbers in Lebanon in terms of like what's percentage like of managerial positions are held by women or or what percentage of the workforce is held by women and potentially do we have numbers for like the MENA region we do have uh, uh, some numbers, but the numbers that I don't have them off the top of my head yeah. now, 
I have, for example, numbers based on studies, for example, in healthcare uh, that were conducted by other people around. I know, for example, that, um, for example, when it comes to medical education, uh, Lebanon years ago achieved uh, parity, gender parity. So you have an equal number of, of uh, men and women studying, but then women account for approximately 22% of the physician workforce. And then when you go to specialties such as surgical specialties, you know, surgeons, well, women maybe are 2%, 2.5% of the population there. So, and these trends are similar to trends around the world, but the percentages are lower. Yeah. Because the expectations, you know, the, the, the issue is not only about um, studying and having the qualifications, it's also the expectations that women have afterwards in terms of responsibility at home, uh, caring responsibility, not only for your children, but for your the elderly as well. Much of that falls on the shoulders of women, pushes the, pushing them further into part-time positions, putting the careers of their male counterparts at the forefront or husbands or... So, so yeah, this is in terms of percentages in healthcare in particular. Now, in general, in Lebanon, I don't have it off the top of my head at the moment, but uh, the, we have lots of data from recruitment, retention, and promotion practices in specific the SAWI project. So I can share with, uh, with you these, if yeah, you like. Yeah, yeah, so how did, so my question for you is, what, what is the SAWI project and how did it uh, come about? SAWI is this awesome project. It's the brainchild of my dear friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Charlotte Karam, one of the people I highly admire. Her and a group of colleagues, some of them are also uh, very dear and close to me. Dr. Carmen Jaha, we still work very closely together, and Dr. Fida Afuni, among many others, few others. Um, and with an incredible team, the idea of SAWI started. And SAWI, in Arabic, it means to equate. Um, but it's also an acronym meaning to support and accelerate women's inclusion. And the idea of SAWI was um, that in general, if you look at indices and if you, in general, women needed help and support from multiple fronts and multiple angles, from legislation to internal policy at the organizational level to, you know, monitoring, collecting data. We have a major data deficit. If you don't have have the numbers how can you know what needs to be changed and what needs to be improved and if you look at the general indices that, that are available globally they tend to look at numbers driven from uh, governments and from uh, like you know large data numbers that are not very specific and don't tell you where the problems are that need to be fixed so the SAWI project wanted to do that and through SAWI we have two indices one is called KIP knowledge is power and the other one is the lived experience index and those two indices, they look specifically at inclusion practices. One of them, the KIP index, looks, looks at practices and policies. The other one looks at experience and perceptions of women uh, working in the, in the region. Now, if you look at the, the KIP index in particular, I'm going to go one step back. Um, so one of the things that the SAWI project as a whole did, uh, of course, under the leadership and the, the, the great efforts of uh, Dr. Charlotte Karam, Professor Charlotte Karam, uh, if I may say, are pushing forward the anti-sexual harassment legislation in Lebanon. It came about in 2020. We did so much work on that on so many fronts. 
partnering, working, pushing ideas, pushing, you know, working with organizations, working with left, right and center in order to do that. And that was necessary because you're in a, in a culture and a context where al-ghazal is a compliment. Like, you know, you can say a few nice words to about the, uh, a, a woman's physical appearance and, and she should take uh, appearance and she should take it as a compliment. Um, so the boundary between what is offensive and not offensive is very blurry. And, uh, uh, you know, people can go, men can go unaccountable without being held accountable just because someone complained means nothing to them. So we needed to have policies in place and legislation in place that create this protection mechanism, structural protection for women so that they are not shying away from the workplace just out of fear of being harassed. And you cannot imagine how many women don't end up choosing to be part of the workforce because of those reasons. Right, or they change jobs because because of that reason too. And they might go to like a lower level job or a job that they don't want to do because of that, right? Absolutely. So at Sawi, we do this, we do the indices, uh, we partner with organizations, help them develop policies because the protective mechanisms are not only at the national level, you need legislation. You could also have legislation within the organization that create also protection and mechanisms of reporting and mechanisms of ensuring that women are protected from discrimination and harassment and then and, and, and not only women, everyone else in the organization. Another thing, aspect that we're working on, uh, two other things that we're working on at the moment are gender lens investing and uh, working on looking at finance from a gender perspective, investing in women-led businesses, investing in, in organizations that promote and focus on promotion of women within organizations. And also we're looking at uh, analyzing all uh, the legislation, legislative landscape, looking at equal opportunities and trying to understand the gap between the existing legislation today across the MENA region, because we have plenty of laws that look at the, that, that aim to provide equality, but at the same time on the ground, there's a huge gap between the practice and, and those legislations. So we're trying to take a holistic perspective and understanding uh, the context of women in, in, uh, in the MENA and to contribute to changing it as well. I read some statistics that probably the, the women in the workforce in the MENA region, probably in terms of like their participation in the workforce and their being happy working in the workforce is probably one of the lowest in the world, right? Am I correct? Yeah. It is very, very sadly. And you know, there are even some statistics that suggest that no place in the world is perfect. But right. for example, there's estimates that gender parity in uh, Europe and Southeast Asia needs another like, I don't know, 50 to 60 years to be achieved. In the MENA region, we're closer to the 130 years. So yeah. imagine how much work is needed in order to start closing those gaps uh, uh, and creating better opportunities for women in the workplace. And so since we're also like talking about positions and stuff like that, so how is, how is gender parity? And this will touch on healthcare management and stuff like that. So how is gender parity in the workforce and healthcare in Lebanon and maybe outside of Lebanon uh, at this point? Yeah, um, uh, the data that we have, you know, a lot of it has to do with, um, remember that when we're collecting data from, from hospitals, we're collecting data about uh, clinical and managerial. And uh, of course, healthcare, particularly nursing and healthcare is one of those jobs that tends to be gendered and it attracts a lot of, uh, uh, there's over-representation of women in those, uh, in those jobs. 
So um, if you look at the data in general, and I'm going to pull up the numbers, so I'm not remembering off the top of mm. my head, so I have them in front of me. If you look at the numbers, well, first of all, in general, the KIPP index, that what it tells us about uh, inclusive HR practices in terms of recruitment, retention, and promotion, the overall number out of 100 is 45 approximately, the whole regional uh, uh, average across sectors. And I'm going to open it here in front of me to make sure that it's uh, correct. Um, and healthcare, um, and we actually collect the data from STEM, uh, financial services, healthcare, and education. Healthcare uh, comes second in most of these practices compared to others. Education comes first. So education is performing better than the uh, MENA average. Healthcare is performing better than the MENA average. But remember that the MENA average is below average. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so it's a, it's a better situation in a in a bad situation. <laughs> so, so, so basically, when you when we say that when you said out of a hundred forty five, so so a hundred probably is like when you achieve parity, right? Am I correct? Um, or? It depends on the sub-index that we're looking for, but you know, yeah. hundreds are the better uh, numbers than uh, than the lower numbers. Right, yes, right, it depends right. on what specific sub-dimension we are looking at. So 45 is the KIP index MENA average. The healthcare average is 51.66. Okay, so it's higher. It's a little bit higher, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what does that mean? If you break it down, we have practices in recruitment, promotion, and retention. And what we notice in general is that in healthcare, we have what's driving the numbers down is limited uh, policies that exist within organizations to create protective mechanisms and also to create attractive workplaces for women. Because, you know, if you have a policy of maternity leave, uh, breastfeeding, um, and all of these things, these tend to be attractive policies for coming to join the organization. But once you're inside, you want policies that protect you, such as anti-discrimination, anti-harassment, equal opportunities, and so on. So we notice that in general, these numbers are low and could be much better. And we notice that what is maybe driving the numbers a little bit better, you know, if you want to think about the bright side, we notice that there is women are being recruited more into the healthcare sector uh, in the region, across the whole region. Uh, but we notice that mainly in first and mid-level positions, managerial positions, not in, uh, you know, the numbers become much worse when we move up, board representation, C-level, uh, top managerial positions, the numbers become very low. Um, we also notice that Women are having more access to development opportunities. So training is becoming more available. And these are all important for promotion purposes. But again, the time that is being spent in one position is very, very long, which is not necessarily a good thing because it means there's no mobility within the organization and no going up the organizational ladder. Yeah, which which can hinder, I guess, or or make women change their work or maybe leave their work because they may get bored of like staying in the same position for a long time or just accept it, I guess, if they need to. Yeah, sometimes you feel like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the job or leave the profession as a whole or leave the workplace altogether. Sometimes, uh, in other places where you people where when people don't have opportunities of mobility and being able to go somewhere else, what ends up happening is that. You're there doing a job. You're not doing a career. You're not performing necessarily, giving your all to your job. And here comes in the organizational psychology aspect where employees 
and their uh, satisfaction at work matters. Their feeling of inclusion at work matter uh, because uh, at work matters because the more included and the more satisfied and the more engaged you know you are at work, the more you are likely to uh, produce more, to give more, to be more innovative, to uh, go uh, above and beyond the job description, to help others, to make sure that organizational objectives are 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 met as a whole. Right, and 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 one of the other things too that goes into this, I guess, is equal pay, let's say for the same, I mean, obviously, if, if if men are in a higher position, they're going to be paid more for sure. But in the same level position, how's pay for women versus men in the healthcare sector and the other sectors of the economy? I don't have the exact numbers in front because, of me now. Yeah. But I know that we do not have equal pay for equal work is not right. a principle that is fully applied. It's a principle that we are advocating for, we believe in, uh, we believe should be implemented. But in reality, it's unfortunately, it is not always the case. So now my next question for you is, yeah, it's, it's a great project. And I know it's funded by multiple uh, organizations, the Savvy Project, and it's by, by Big Grant too, right? That was funded, it was funded by. But uh, do you feel that the, go the governments in the MENA region, maybe the different... Uh, employers in the media region are they receptive to the feedback and and how how is it i guess presented afterwards let's say you're successful with one employer how do you present it to show that okay we're successful uh, this worked and then that incentivizes other employers to work with you to improve things at the moment, first, uh, regarding the funding, yes, the Sawi project is funded by the Middle East Partnership Initiative uh, from the U.S. Department of State, and um, we are—it's a, it's a multi-million-dollar uh, funding project that goes to supporting uh, work across eight countries at the moment. The countries that we are covering are Algeria. Well, I'm going to start Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Lebanon, Jordan, Bahrain, and Iraq. Is that eight? Did I cover some more? That's eight, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and what we do, we have country partners in all of those countries. So we're mobilizing a large amount of people. And the data that we've collected in the previous round was from 3,000 employers. Um, the mere fact that employers, those 3,000 employers, were willing to share their data was very big. Now, in terms of reporting back the results, the the, the, the uh, MENA region is still very sensitive and we're not very good in general and I'm, I'm not talking about those organizations that we are working with and collecting data from at the moment. Um, I'm talking in general, you know, as a Lebanese to Lebanese. If, if we now think together about what is the Arabic term for feedback? Uh, Can you think of a word, a direct translation for that? Actually, it doesn't come to my mind directly right now. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't exist. It's not no a natural way. thing evolved in our culture <laughs> actually i've never thought so, about this but you're right yeah and and I, I'm, I'm a big believer that language you know it's something that is genuinely part and parcel of the language it would have kind of like flourished from it came up from it you know we would have come up with a word to refer to it feedback in general is not always uh you know we, we are competitive we tend to you know question defensively sometimes so we are very careful in how we present the data and um and we only present share the data with organizations that reveal themselves because one of the things that we do also is that all the data that we collect from organization is protected under uh, ethical standards so 
there's only a small number of people who are collecting the data who know the organization, but then all the data is stored anonymously and we don't have access to it. Unless the organization wants to know, we can go back and give them those results. So um, in terms of the willingness of organization, you know, I am very hopeful. And if, if I didn't believe in change and in, in people's genuine interest in, in changing status quo and commitment to, to this change, I wouldn't be engaged in any of those change initiatives. And I genuinely believe that through SAWI and through all other initiatives that are happening all around in the MENA region and globally, there is a general push that is encouraging organization and making it more attractive for organizations to invest and want to be the champions of, of women. And, you know, some countries in the Arab uh, uh, MENA are doing more than others. Um, but in general, there is um, it is becoming more attractive and the value of investing in women is becoming more evident for employers as well. Right, because I think they, they also see that the economic benefit of uh, involving women because they, they, they are a significant number of the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the, the uh, you know, on one hand, it makes it a little bit sad that we have to build a business case for that. But the business case is helping us and making it visible, concretely visible in the eyes of employers, why it is important to invest. If you care about the bottom line, it does impact your bottom line. If you care about the economic GDP at the economic level, more people work, the more people pay taxes, the more people, you know, the, these things are all interrelated. Uh, so we have to, at the moment, yes, we have to present the business case to show the the difference and that you know, to make it attractive for employers to want to invest in that. And I think it's becoming more and more evident. Um, plus, you know, globally, you have a, a trend towards uh, ESG, ESG reporting, and ESG, okay, the E and the G, uh, maybe the G can relate a little bit, but the S, the social sustainability aspect the, the in the middle, a lot of it can go back to investment in gender equality, um, women workplace empowerment, creating inclusive workplaces. All of these can be reported back into the S of the ESG. I'm going to go back to the anti-sexual harassment law in Lebanon. So do you, have you seen it being implemented at this point? So we know the law is there. And how is the implementation of the law? Because also that's important because you're gonna we're gonna get laws into place which are very important to protect women. But then are these laws being implemented in Lebanon? If I am not mistaken, there is now currently the first case is being uh, is actually in court. Uh, I'm not sure what's happening to it. So if we consider that the law was implemented in December 2020, and now we have the first case, obviously the reporting is quite low. And, and we cannot forget the contextual cultural factors that, that come into play. There's the aib, the concept of the aib, and he don't tell, don't let people hear about it, uh, kind of approach. Uh, I will take care of you. Don't worry, I will deal with him on your behalf, you know, the fatherly, patriarchal kind of ways. So many interferences come into play. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but we have in Lebanon also a law that protects against domestic violence. Domestic violence. <laughs> so anti-domestic violence. And actually this law prohibits violence against any member of the family, be it from your father or your brother or your sister or your mother or, you know, in general. 
But again, I remember once I witnessed uh, an incident of violence, a man hitting a woman who was carrying a, a child in a, in a mall in Lebanon, where a busy mall, everyone was there. And of course, I jumped straight away and I couldn't but interfere, you know, when I see someone being... Uh, so um, I remember speaking to the woman, the guy, of course, he ran away. He, he took her phone and ran away. It turns out that they were divorced and she kind of like was trying to show him his daughter, maybe things can, they can rekindle the relationship. And obviously he, he wasn't even close to, uh, uh, to, to being a human, uh, let alone anything else. So straight away, I told her the, the law the, that she is protected, called the police, etc. It didn't take her long. She was convinced that she needed to do that because she has a law, law, lawsuit against him anyway. But every single member that was there around, including the security, including Haras Nabarif, me and some politicians, Haras came as well. Everyone tried to intervene, including the police who came, tried to tell her, are you sure you want to hide that? whatever, giving him excuses uh, uh, for that. Eventually she kept it. And when they went to uh, to court uh, the week after, because they had a scheduled court date, okay. that her using that made sure that her daughter will not leave her when she's at the age where she would go with the father. Because the, it was proof of domestic violence on behalf of the father. So unfortunately, people don't report. And there's lots of cultural pressure that discourages you from reporting but reporting is important and it does make a difference right part of the whole picture i think is a lot of cultural influences and cultural factors that prevent women from expressing themselves either socially or even at the workplace to promote themselves so just one, one before we, we, we conclude in a bit, uh, I just I know you worked in healthcare management at AUBMC uh, before bridging the gap for evidence based for healthcare management because there's not a lot of evidence based for that. Can you just tell us a bit about what you've done at AUB and the OSP business school at the time? Sure. Uh, that, the work was at AUBMC, but also beyond. We worked with the many hospitals all around Lebanon. Um, so the idea of, of uh, the evidence-based healthcare management unit started, as I told you earlier, I noticed that there is a gap that, that managers, as one of the subpopulations, employees and managers who are non-clinical in hospitals, were not getting the attention or the development and capacity building uh, uh, investments that they deserve. And in, in hospital settings, you know that in medicine, a lot of the medical practices are driven by evidence-based medicine, whereby you go back to the evidence, what the evidence is telling you. Of course, now there's a shift towards precise medicine, but you know, evidence-based medicine was uh, um, very big in, in that field. That's where it started, in the field of medicine. So in a context of hospital, it only made sense that in the same way as doctors use the evidence to support their clinical decisions, that managers in the hospitals also use the available evidence from business and engineering and organizational psychology and nursing and healthcare that talks about managerial practices and there is a lot out there and some of this evidence is in the literature some of the evidence is internal to the organization sometimes you just need to collect data internally to make a more better informed decision 
So from that perspective, we started collaborating with managers at the beginning with, from AUBMC, identifying critical projects and bringing together uh, faculty members from multiple disciplines who have this area of knowledge and, and specialization to work together with the manager. For example, a manager might be trying to deal with extended wait, waiting times and scheduling problems, bottlenecks and schedulings that are huge. Um, you know, who best to work with that manager than, I don't know, a faculty member who specializes in queuing theory. All they do in their life is study how queues work and how do you alleviate the queue and how do you change processes in a way to make sure that people wait less uh, and you schedule things better. So th that was really the purpose, like bringing the right expertise with the right uh, managerial problem and getting them to work together. Now, on the beautiful side, also, we created case studies, we published papers, and all of these were in collaboration between faculty members and students and managers. So we worked together genuinely and wholeheartedly. The work, the last project that we did in 2019 before the economic collapse was a, a project called Adilla. And Adilla in Arabic, as you know, is evidence. And it was the first, first of its kind because it was a project um, uh, it was a capacity building program focused on uh, 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 mentoring. So we had mentors who came and worked with teams from different hospitals in Lebanon. And for the first time, people from different hospitals were coming together to share and, and air the, their dirty laundry uh, without being scared of competition, they were there genuinely under one aim. We're here because we want to improve patient care in Lebanon. We want the patient to be at the center of the thinking of all managers working in hospitals in Lebanon. So it was a learning environment where we came for three days with the specific problems. The managers came with their problem, put that on the ground, and we worked on how can we integrate evidence into solving these. And the managers went back and forth between their hospitals and uh, the program in order to create, to showcase how they utilized evidence in order to improve practices and how to solve their, their managerial problems in, in this healthcare uh, context. So yeah, this is how uh, the idea behind EHMU and how it started and um, the work was supported, especially the Adilla program was endorsed by the syndicate of uh, hospitals, by um, the Ministry of uh, Health and by the Order of Nurses and by the um, American Association for Healthcare Centers as well. The Middle East branch was also supporting. Uh, unfortunately, many things happened in Lebanon and um, came in the way of that, but that was an incredible project that showed what we can do in, you know, as, as a collective, not as individual entities and organizations, but as a collective, as a sector, working towards improvement, towards, you know, common goals as a whole. Right, because the healthcare sector, sector is a very complex sector, and, and there's a lot of stakeholders. A lot of times people just complain, but they don't look at the evidence to, to solve a lot of the problems that happen. And a lot of them are probably non-medical problems that are related to patient experience and, and improved patient care. Uh, oh, absolutely. Sometimes the problem, you know, in so many cases, we went in thinking that the problem is here. And then it turned out that the problem is there and it costs like zero dollars to uh, to fix <laughs> rather than the hundreds of thousands that you know of the of the, the brilliant innovative ideas that could that come to your mind but using evidence helped us think about problems in terms of the root cause of the problems and trying to identify the root cause before coming up with a solution that we think might work
right exactly exactly and uh so if, as, as we conclude i think it was a great podcast but i just want to ask you where do you see the Saudi project uh, heading and uh and where do you see gender uh the closure of gender gap in the MENA region uh going in the next let's say 10 years um, well, the Saudi project is continuing. We are now uh, on another round of data collection, uh, continuing to monitor and, and close the data deficit uh, because it is really at the, you know, one of the most important things, contributions that we can give. In terms of um, where we where we are going, our vision now at Saudi and now especially that Saudi moved under the provost's office at AUB, we are interested in creating a model uh, of stakeholder mobilization, multi-stakeholder mobilization. Problems that are large, such as gender inclusion, gender parity, uh, or, or similar uh, of, or of, of similar scale, require the mobilization of stakeholders from multiple entities and multiple uh, parts of, uh, uh, you know, from multiple perspectives, and requires efforts also from legislation, to policies, to training, to uh, activism, to campaigns, to education. So these things, if you want to solve them genuinely and wholeheartedly, you need to uh, mobilize groups of stakeholders. And this is what we are aiming to, to develop. We are aiming to develop showcasing Sawi not only in terms of what we are doing, in terms of a model of how the university can bridge uh, and can utilize and leverage uh, its expertise and the, the skills and the work and, and be this connector between people and between people and societal problems and organizations and academicians, etc. So that's our vision. Our vision is to create, to become a model for uh, multi-stakeholder mobilization. Yeah, and I think uh, hopefully this this will this will I, mean, I think I think this will be successful because I saw like a lot of the people involved in the Savvy project and it, it's like people like you all over the world I think and in Lebanon who are uh, very dedicated to this project. Uh, thank you, Lena, for being on the podcast. And uh, so, are you one one last question? So, are you now talking to me from Norway or from Finland? I am talking to you from Oslo, from my office at the Iron Region Business School. <laughs> I just arrived this morning and I'm here for the next few days. <laughs> okay. All right. Great, great talking to you. Okay. Great talking to you. Thank you for having me, Khalil.